Today's edition of the Derek Hunter Podcast is brought to you by Life Change Tea. Why go to GetTheTea.com? Because this important news could change your life. Socrates made a statement saying that all disease starts in the gut. Take care of your gut, and well, the rest speaks for itself. Life Change Tea is a wonderful way to aid in your digestion. Brew it, steep it, drink it, and feel it go to work. We at Life Change Tea have been around for years helping people just like you feel better. Lots of testimonials and lots of happy people. Log on to GetTheTea.com. That's GetTheTea.com. GetTheTea.com. Hello again, everyone, and welcome to it. It is the Derek Hunter Podcast of the 4th of April, 2022. Why would I keep saying 2024? Maybe because it's the 4th. Anyway, I am your host. I appreciate the use of your ears. Thank you very much for downloading, sharing, telling a friend. And most importantly, thanks for going to patreon.com slash Derek Hunter Podcast to subscribe there, support the show. Even if you don't, there are a lot of people who subscribe who tell me they don't want to listen. They don't like kind of that kind of language, but they're looking for a way to support the show. That's that's how you do it. Uh, Patreon.com slash Derek Hunter Podcast. And uh, that's where you enter to win the contests that uh, the winner of which will be announced at the end of this program, as well as which book joins the loser. They're really a loser, but uh, the uh, remaining book as uh, your choice. So make sure you stick around till the, or skip to the end. I can't make you listen to the whole thing. But let's get to the whole thing now. There is a lot going on. There's a bunch of stuff happening in the world that we will talk about. And that is not a joke. As Joe Biden. Joe Biden, not a joke. You got Joe Biden who says everything's not a joke, not a joke, not a joke. And you got Kamala Harris who laughs at everything like it's a joke. I was watching some cl- a clip of, uh, what's his face? Stephen uh, Col- Colbert. I honestly don't know how anybody watches Stephen Colbert. He's supposed to be a comedy show, and all I ever see of him is making jokes about Trump. I get it. You hate Trump. But there's a whole bunch of stuff going on right now, and you're running blocker or blocking everybody out else out away from getting a, a square inch of Joe Biden's butt so they can plant their lips on it because you want your lips planted all over the whole damn thing. And you sit there and you go, this is, this is an embarrassment. There's no one set up and punchline anymore. There is preaching to the choir and applause line. In his monologue, he's whining about Donald Trump. He's whining about Donald Trump in the clip I saw. And the clip I saw, yeah, actually was wrong. I'm not going to subject you to Stephen Colbert because he's just not funny. He used to have the capability of being funny. But did he really? Now think back to it. I look back and I, I kind of screw up Stephen Colbert with uh, Steve Carell. Steve Carell's funny. Steve Carell is a comedic actor. Stephen Colbert is a liberal hack. Both were hired at The Daily Show, probably for the same, those very reasons. Hey, Stephen Colbert, he's pretty good at the job. And hey, or uh, Steve Carell, he's pretty good at the job. And hey, Stephen Colbert, he's willing to toe the party line no matter how stupid it makes him look. Eh? I mean, you got to have some kind of hiring standards, don't you? But uh, he factors in because the joke he, I saw him making was about oh, Donald Trump. There was a, a gap, a s- almost eight-hour gap. Everybody's heard this story by now. Almost an eight-hour gap in the uh, phone records at the White House on January the 6th with Donald Trump. 
that had to mean that the Trump administration did what? It was a cover-up. It was a massive cover-up. They had wiped the logs clean. My God, they had wiped the logs clean. What did they do? To whom did they speak? It must have been somebody bad because they desperately didn't want anybody to know about it, right? I mean, that's the story. That was the big story. This was not just a normal story. This was a Bob Woodward, Robert Costa story. It was Bob Costa used to be at National Review, and then he got a bunch of money to go over to the Washington Post and sell out what he, or yeah, he, to his credit, he could have been lying about being remotely conservative when he was at National Review. It's entirely possible. But uh, then he became adopted. He became the pet of Bob Woodward. They co-wrote the Woodward's last book together. And uh, I think they're trying to groom a new Bob Woodward. But CBS News came a calling. So now he's at CBS News and he does these joint reports because I think Bob Woodward is now more of a brand that you... Uh, you slap on it. Bob Woodward approved. Bob Woodward. Bob Woodward probably not doing a whole lot of journalism. I believe he's in his. He's he's up there in age. In any event, so he's probably not doing too much gumshoe work, right? Probably not out there. Let me see. How old is Bob Woodward? Yeah, he's seventy nine years old. Probably not. Uh, maybe he works the phones occasionally, but not all that often. Probably still works on a regular old typewriter. So they latch him up to Bob Woodward or to uh, Robert Costa so that they can keep the brand alive. And uh, that's how we get this report. This first clip is from CBS News. It's breaking news. It's breaking this story. My God. And especially when you have Bob Costa and Bob Woodward working together again, it's like, it's like getting Batman and Robin back together after a, a, a spat. It had to be news. It was big news. This was what dominated the news the last four or five days. This was the story. This is this was going to be yet another in a pile of smoking guns that was going to take out Donald Trump once and for all, put him behind bars. There's a cover-up, ladies and gentlemen, as he plotted the coup. Well, we'll tell you what the problem is after you listen to this breaking news. From CBS. Breaking news on the investigation into the January 6th assault on the Capitol. CBS News and The Washington Post have obtained White House records of President Trump's activities that day, and they reveal a nearly eight hour gap in entries in his call log and his daily diary. This gap raises big questions about what the president was doing at the time and whether he was using a so-called burner phone, maybe a couple of them. Those are disposable and untraceable. Chief Election and Campaign Correspondent Robert Costa, this is his reporting, along with Bob Woodward of The Washington Post, and, and Robert joins us now. Uh My God, they brought out Woodward and Costa, the new Carl Bernstein, uh, to go out and, was the president using burner phones? Scandal alert, scandal alert. This dominated. There's no phone. Where are these phone records? What happened to these phone records? Where are they? What's going on? Well, it was one of those stories that was just too damn good to check. Just too damn good to check. Because a simple check later on in the week discovered the truth that even CNN, even CNN goes, oh, crap. Now, CNN was all over this, all over their airwaves, the story when it was, where are these eight hours worth of phone records. 
now that that's blown up, even by their own reporting, they kind of go, yeah, uh, nah, things are different anyway, whatever. <laughs> the CNN story, official review of Trump phone logs from January 6th, finds the record is complete. Huh? How do you figure that? We just heard CBS breaking news. My goodness, there's a huge gap. Well, CNN sicked one, two, three, four, five, six report. It took six. There's got to be more at the bottom. Yes, uh, seven, eight. Two other people contributed. There are eight CNN employees together got this report. <laughs> Tells you how pathetic it was. In the seven hours during which the White House records show no phone calls to or from then-President Donald Trump on January 6th, among the calls are conspicuous. Uh, among the calls that are conspicuously absent is one Trump made then-Vice President Mike Pence that morning from the Oval Office. While the call is not specifically noted in the presidential diary or the presidential call log, its existence has been corroborated by multiple sources who were with Trump and Pence that day, including former aides who testified before the House Select Committee investigating the U.S. Capitol attack. And it is not the only call Trump is known to have made from that time frame that is not reflected in the records. Ooh, see, they're building a scandal. They're reiterating the lie. Quite so, they got one, two, three, four paragraphs, five paragraphs. In the sixth paragraph, they begin to go, well, but maybe it's not that big of a scandal. It's not by accident that they're reporting it this way, but at least they're reporting it, I suppose, baby steps. The mystery of the seven-hour gap has fueled furious speculation as to why calls are missing. That includes allegations that Trump was using burner phones, which he has denied, or that logs were purposefully suppressed. Ooh, sounds evil, doesn't it? Now you get an advertisement across the CNN page. Then you come up with the actual news of the story. But the gap may have a less mysterious explanation. According to multiple sources familiar with Trump's phone behavior and the White House switchboard records, the January 6th log reflects Trump's typical phone habits. He mainly placed calls through the switchboard when he was in the residence, but rarely used it when he was in the Oval Office. The fact the, logs d the log does not show calls on January 6, 2021 from the Oval Office is not unusual said the sources, because Trump typically had staff either place calls directly for him on landlines or cell phones. Those calls would not be noted on the switchboard log. This was the story. My God, Donald Trump, wipe and clean, cover up alert, look out, third impeachment. We need to get Trump back in office so we can throw him out of office again. Democrats across the uh, the great planes were saying this is an outrage there's a we need to get to subpoenas were being drafted we must find out what happened to these phone calls and how it is that donald trump wiped them clean and it didn't happen it wasn't it's not though they got it mildly wrong it's that they got the entire concept wrong that's how bad it was this is an entire concept this is soiling the bed and ruining the bed frame at the same time. <laughs> now, the, it's funny because the people who gleefully reported this are not super keen on reporting the follow-up. It's kind of weird. The story that broke 
they're still being married to it. I've never seen anything like this in journalism. It's a phenomenon only and exclusively related to Donald Trump, where it is completely disproven. And they still go, yeah, but there's nuggets of truth in there, and we don't really know the difference. Now, Joe Biden gets the benefit of the doubt on everything. His family, everybody around him, makes millions of dollars from the Chinese communists. And Joe is suddenly, he's Chauncey Gardner wandering through. He's Mr. Magoo going, hey, I wasn't even in town that month. What's going on? I'm just middle class Joe. The middle class Joe, who apparently never had a question as to how it was he and his family uh, while well, he's a public servant, managed to be able to afford several mansions throughout the state of Delaware. Not, not homes, not just regular old houses, but mansions. Joe Biden didn't live like a middle-class Joe because he was never middle-class Joe. He just kind of officially wanders his way through it. And they don't question it. But Donald Trump, there's a record. There's no record. Oh, wait, no, there's an explanation for that. Well, still, it could be anything. Robert Costa, the uh, the story, of course, has been reported by everybody. It's weird how it's one of those stories about Donald Trump that everybody gets wrong, but everybody reports on. Every, we verified this. And then they go, oh, yeah, no, oops, sorry. We verified this ourselves independently, and then everything is wrong. Like, are you all calling the same guy? Is that how you verify? Is there there one guy who works in the bowels of MSNBC? He's the secret source for all of this. You call him up and say, yep, totally true. That's it. That's his voicemail. Hey, uh, this is Joe, the basement of MSNBC. Uh, that story you're pursuing about Donald Trump, I totally verify it. Leave a message. We, uh, that, that's enough. That's good enough. Axios had uh, done some reporting on this. A key aide was absent in the uh, early parts of the day on January 6th, the one who logs all the calls. So that's got to be why it was. No. The log is run by the switchboard. The switchboard is not full of political appointees. But Robert Costa is still out there. Important fact in this story from Jonathan Swan and Alan Tyreen or whatever the hell the person's name is from Axios. Quote, but Michael, who sat outside the Oval Office, was out the morning of January 6th for personal reasons. She arrived at the White House late that afternoon. Costa then stops quoting and he says, This raises several questions, including if the usual notekeeper was not in the White House for much of January 6th, as reported by Axios tonight, who keeps notes in her place, if anyone? See, that's the gap. There's got to be a gap. It can't just be that every single day there's a gap because this is how the president operates inside the Oval Office and has always operated that way. No, it has to be conspiratorial. Then Costa wonders, who witnessed Trump make calls from the dining room watching TV and how did he make them? And is there a log of that phone? Ah, Robert, I'm sorry, but your whole reporting is a log, just not made of wood. It was dropped from your bum. It's garbage. You lose, okay? It was too good to fact check, so you didn't bother fact checking it. A cursory fact check, talking to a couple of people, likely would have, rather than, because they got this directly from the, uh, January 6th committee. They got this directly from Pelosi or Schiff or whoever it was. And they just said, oh, well, there you go. They wouldn't lie to us. And they did. They did. They lied to you. They omitted that this is not out of the ordinary. 
You know how I can say that with certainty? If this were out of the ordinary, the committee's had this for a very long time. If this were out of the ordinary, this would have been out already. They have the phone records from the White House. They don't know what was said, but they have the phone records from the White House. They would have said, my God, bombshell, unlike every other day of his presidency, Donald Trump weirdly stopped logging phone calls for eight hours on January 6th. That would have been the story. Knowing that couldn't be the story because that was a lie, they leaked to Woodward and Costa the idea, the hint that, well, this is awfully fishy, without saying, but it's actually normal. Knowing that they would run with it, they wouldn't question it, they wouldn't bother doing any follow-up. This was a hot scoop. A hot scoop. Yeah, it was a hot scoop. If you've ever cleaned up after a dog with one of those plastic bags on your hands, this is that kind of hot scoop. Steaming pile of hot scoop. Congratulations, Bob. And Bob, you'll probably win a Pulitzer. We're going to shift gears here and shoddy reporting to shoddy reporting and well, the, the shoddy reporting to the aftermath of shoddy reporting and the continuing saga of, oh, the biggest crisis our country is facing today. No, it's not inflation. No, it's not Joe Biden's incompetence on the world stage or even the war in Ukraine. It is the 0.01% of the population, the trans kids out there, and the ability of teachers to be able to talk to kids about gender and sexuality. I've never seen more people come out and go, well, I need to be, I don't, I'm lost. I'm literally lost without being able to tell children with whom I have been entrusted to teach uh, that about my, my sex life or my love life or my, my sexual proclivities or my sexual preference or my sexuality or anything. I swear to God, growing up, I didn't know the first thing about my teachers. My teachers exist. I don't know. I didn't know that they ever. Remember that feeling when you were a kid? When you're sitting there and you, you're at the grocery store or something and you're out of context and you run into a teacher? You're with your parents. You're at the grocery store. You're obviously not out, you know, partying. Well, nowadays you're probably out partying. You're probably sleeping with your teacher by now, but in kindergarten. But. In, in like elementary school, when you were wherever, even if you went to, I used to go to the high school football games with my dad. My dad and my uncle and my godfather used to go to the high school football games all the time. They'd sit in the, or they'd stand in the uh, visiting bleachers because the home bleachers were too crowded and too rowdy and too loud. And they just wanted to watch the game, which is ironic. I don't know how they're crowded, rowdy, and loud when the team sucked. Like, I barely remember them ever winning any games. But at least while I was in high school. I didn't actually go. I went to one game when I was in high school. But when I was in elementary school, I'd go to the games all the time because there was a whole bunch of my friends that were there and my cousins and everything. And it was the school was right near my cousin's house. So we'd play and then we'd go to the game and run around and whatever. We didn't pay any attention to the game. And... Uh, it was every once in a while you'd run into a teacher from your elementary school. And it was, wait, there's, it was like a spotting of a celebrity. There's Mr. Duffy over there. Look at Mr. Duffy over there. And what was Mr. Duffy? Mr. Duffy wasn't, you know, secretly buying crack or shooting up a hypodermic needle full of heroin behind the, the, the bathrooms or anything. He was just you know, walking around with a hot dog or whatever the hell it was, watching the game, being there, probably obligated to be there. 
And you go, oh my God, there, there's Miss So-and-so or whatever. I didn't know any, like they exist outside of the classroom. Holy cow. That was it. I didn't know anything about them. I didn't know if any of them were married except for if it was Ms. or Mrs. And then it was tough to tell. And as a kid, you didn't know. So it didn't really even matter. You called the teacher, whatever it was that uh, they call, you told them to call you or you told, they told you to call them. And that was it. I didn't know if they were married. I didn't know if they were gay or straight or whatever. I didn't care. I didn't know if they had kids. I just knew that they were my teacher and I was supposed to learn from them. And I did learn from them. They didn't try to engage with me. I didn't even know their first names. Let me see if I can think about it. Ms. Molner was kindergarten. Ms. Forstrom was first grade. I don't remember who was second grade. Mr. Duffy was third grade. Hmm. Like the sixth grade girls had crushes on Mr. Duffy. But after that, I don't, I don't know what their names are. The principal was Mr. Shedd, and then it was Mr. Morris. Well, I don't know what, I can't remember any of their first names. None of them. Until high school, when you had a year, I don't remember, we had yearbooks in junior high, but, and there were teacher's photos, but I don't think they actually put the teacher's names, like the first name in there. It was Ms. or Mrs. Nobody was gender confused back then. It's so weird. It seems like a lifetime ago, and it wasn't all that long ago when people were not confused about their genders. But now nobody can get it straight, and everybody demands respect. Everybody turns into Eric Cartman. I demand respect. You respect my authority. And now these teachers cannot exist without telling their children that they're supposed to be teaching about their personal lives. The kids don't need to know it. The kids don't give a damn. I hate to break it to you, teachers, but aside from when something really stupid comes into the news or the, the consciousness, the public consciousness, after kids out of your class, they're not going to cross their mind. And the longer they're out of your class, the less you're going to cross their mind. You, you don't matter in the grand scheme of things. All you do is you give them a boost a boost and say, all right, well, here's how you do math. Nobody goes, well, this is the person who taught me how to do math, and I owe this person more than any. No, you just learned math over the course of your elementary school career, and uh, that's it. No one particular aha eureka moment. But for some reason, these people seem to think they're having massive impacts on people's lives. They used to be hired to educate now, they want to mold the next generation into being idiots, into being left-wing idiots. But they want to mold them. All right, well, how about you just teach them? How about the, the job is teacher? It seems pretty self-explanatory. It's right there in the freaking title. How about you just go with that, okay? Once you prove that you can do that, which you're, a lot of you are kind of failing that you can do, then we can talk about, uh, you know, how far you tuck it back on the weekends or whatever your kink is. We can, can at least consider it. Not in front of the kids, but we'll, we'll talk about it then. But prove that you can educate. You educate. I love that we're educators because we're molding the next generation, their minds. Now, don't mold their minds. It's very Orwellian. We're molding the young minds of the future. Uh, you just, how about you just teach them? You just teach him. I want to play you this clip of a Florida teacher. This is again from the uh, libs of tip TikTok. 
a great account. There is an alarming number of teachers out there who, even before the Florida Parental Rights and Education Law became a law, seemed to be to have this weird compulsion to talk to their kids. And this is, a, by the way, this is indic- indicative of a bigger problem in society. Everybody knows a kid in the neighborhood or parents in the neighborhood who's who they want to be friends with their kids, right? Oh, we're going to, my best friend, my best, well, unless your kid's like 25 years old, your kid shouldn't be your best friend, okay? You need to parent. If that can evolve into it later, that's great. That's great, I guess. But it's still, you should always maintain that parent-child relationship. But the parents who want to be friends with their kids, the kid, usually the parents who are like, oh, well, you guys, as long as you're going to drink here, you can drink beer. I get that you're 12 years old, but as long as you can drink here, then it's okay. They're the cool parents. They're my friends. They're the ones whose um, kids call them by their first name. When my kids find out that I are reminded that I have a first name, their mind is kind of blown. And they're like, what's your first, what's your name? Huh, what's your middle name? Really, what's my middle name? They, they all get all confused. They, and then they forget because I, I am not Derek to them. I am not going to be Derek to them. <laughs> it's not, I'm their father, period, end of story. But um, these people who want to be friends with their kids and their kids' friends are now like the teachers. This is, all of them have become teachers, apparently. So this Florida teacher is upset, beyond upset, to the point of tears, literally to the point of crying, about how she's, I don't know what the hell, she's like married or engaged or in a relationship with whatever the hell a trans femme is. I don't, I don't know what these terms mean. I don't care what these terms mean. But uh, she's very upset that she's not going to be able to let her kids know, they're not your kids, first of all, uh, about her personal life, which if, again, if you think back to when you were a kid, what did you know about your teacher's personal lives? I didn't know where they lived. I didn't know where they were. I didn't. You spot them in the wild. It was weird. Anyway, listen to this Florida teacher can't handle not talking to her students about her private life. As an elementary school teacher in Florida, um, this new bill has really been weighing on me a lot. I teach first grade which means my classroom is one of the ones that will be directly affected. Um, For those of you who haven't been in the classroom in a while, one of the things that teachers always do at back to school night and meet the teacher and things like that is they like send home this cute little like meet the teacher thing where it has like a little bio about us, some of our favorite stuff, just so that you know who we are. How do I do that next year? Do I lie and not talk about my marriage? Do I pretend I'm single? Do I invalidate my spouse's stance as a trans femme person? Or do I put my job on the line to introduce myself? What am I supposed to do? I don't know. 
I don't know. You had to have that I don't know in there. Uh, you're emotionally unstable and shouldn't be anywhere near children. You are emotionally, mentally unstable and shouldn't be anywhere near children. If you can't describe yourself in innocuous terms about, you know, hey, uh, you know what, my favorite food is peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. Uh, here's my favorite TV, whatever it is. If you can't go, and then here's my favorite sexual position. Here's the genders I'm attracted to. Here's how I feel. Uh, here's a, a dissertation on whatever the hell a a trans femme is. What the hell is a trans femme? I don't know. And more importantly, I don't care, and I don't want my kids to know. My kids are too young to care about any of that stuff. They don't need to be polluted with it. But no, 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 we've got to do this. Without that, without how I have sex with my spouse... Uh, I am not a person. Well, then you're not much of a person to begin with anyway, okay? If that defines who you are, if that is it, if that's your defining characteristic, you're a god-awful boring person, and you're not bringing anything to the table, all right? So just uh, find a new job. Find a new career. Get away from children. Because, first of all, we don't need to know about you. In general, we, you know, the basics. Here's my name. Here's where I went to school. Here's what I'm really interested in teaching your kids. It should be all about the kids. Everything in that getting to know your teacher thing sounds, first of all, you don't need to do that crap. But if you do do that crap, if you're doing your job well, everything in it should be about your kids, about the kids in the class being, hey, here's how I love to teach the kids about butterflies. And oh boy, I'm really looking forward to the point where we do X, Y, and Z. Everything that happens in that classroom, you're, everything you're paid for is about the children. And if you can't do that, you shouldn't have the job. You shouldn't have the job. It's not about you. It's not about how you feel. It's not about validating you and your relationships. It's not about anything to do with you. Get over yourselves or get a new job. But no, I can't. I need the, oh no, it's terrible. Well, tough then. Toughen up a little bit. Grow some thick skin. By the way, when you listen to that audio, if you close your eyes and just picture what that person looks like, that's what this person looks like. You, you nailed it. <laughs> you got it right. Speaking of somebody who you can close your eyes and picture what that person looks like, Jeopardy champion Amy Schneider. Remember her, him, whatever. The most successful woman in the history of Jeopardy is a dude. Yeah, because there's nothing we can't do, ladies. Learn it. Uh, Schneider, that's Schneider, is that, yeah, Schneider went to the White House yesterday. Why? Because it was Trans Visibility Day. You know, I, I would like a day of trans, give me a break day. Give me a break from trans day. Can we do that? We got trans, hey, look, everybody, there's trans, they're all visible. Now can we, like, have a Tuesday where we don't have to see it at all? Where everybody's just an individual and their sexuality doesn't matter. No, probably not. It's probably a hate crime even to suggest. But anyway, Amy Schneider was talking about all oh, the dangers of these evil, evil laws that are being passed across the country, even being considered. Uh, the Jeopardy champion said what at the White House? Oh, of course, 
the, the International Trans Visibility Day. I think most people call it International Avert Your Eyes Day. You do what you you do. You I'm going to be over here reading a book day. Um, asked about this. Listen to this exchange from the White House. Do you want to comment on the bills we've seen around the nation? Uh, they're really scary, and uh, some of them in particular that are denying uh, medical services uh, to trans youth. Those are those are life-saving medical treatments, and they will, you know, these bills could, will will cause the deaths of children, and that's really sad to me, and it's really frightening. Uh, how will they cause the deaths of children? Uh, uh, what is uh, Amy Schneider talking about? The most successful woman man in Jeopardy history. I'm talking about. The idea that if you're going to mutilate your body physically or alter your body hormonally, chemically from inside, you have to be at least 18 years old. Sorry. You just have to be. You don't get to uh, be. A, if you can't vote, you can't drive, you can't buy a pack of cigarettes, you shouldn't be able to permanently mutilate your body. You're going to have to have a little bit more lived experience to make sure you really want to do this. And then game on if that's what you want. But that's going to cause people's life. How? Well, it's going to lead to more suicides by trans children. What about suicides by other children? There are a hell of a lot more. In fact, everything that the left does is sort of predicated on this weird thing. This weird idea. Well, we must uh, protest police brutality. Police are killing young black men. Eleven? Eleven unarmed black men, most of whom were actually in a physical confrontation with police officers. And that's what you're taking to the streets for. Eleven is a slow weekend in Chicago. Eleven is a long weekend in Baltimore. But you don't care about that. You don't care about the thousands of young black men who are murdered by young black men. But no, it's the 11 that really there's only like two that you can actually point to that are egregious uh, by at the hands of police. Those are the ones you care about. That's it? Oh, the trans suicide rate is high. It's horrible. I'm sure it's not good. People with mental disabilities, mental problems, tend to commit suicide at a higher rate. However, if you're just looking at raw numbers, if it's about children, if you care so desperately about children, rather than just say you don't, you just care about specific children. Because if you care desperately about the children, children in general, you would notice that the lion's share of children's suicide are not trans children. You might also notice that uh, the children who do commit suicide who are trans have drug problems, by and large, and other emotional problems that are ignored because you're too busy cheering them on, trying to convince them to mutilate their bodies. Just saying. Well, I'll just say it. You're evil. Evil, period. There's other... In, this week, I meant, I meant to get to this before now, but you know, you get to it when you can get to it. The news, the sad news about Bruce Willis. I, I'm a child of Bruce Willis. I am a child of John McClane. And that is uh, anybody really who grew up, who was a kid in the 80s, is a kid in the 90s too, is a kid of Bruce Willis. The Die Hard series is <laughs> it's kind of awesome. It's The Die Hard movie, the first one, is probably... 
Is it the greatest action movie? It's the greatest Christmas movie. No question about that. But it's one of the, if not the greatest action movies ever. And now we have news that Will Smith is suffering from aphasia. Aphasia, which is a brain disorder that causes you to lose the ability to comprehend and to form language and comprehend language. It's, it's sad. And I just wanted to note that because it's, Bruce Willis is far too young for this. He's in his 60s. But there's reports that maybe he uh, suffered a brain injury back in 2002 that causes. Because aphasia, you, you can get aphasia if you suffer a brain injury. We don't know. It's far too CERN about that. But Los Angeles Times has an interesting story. Uh, concerns about Bruce Willis' declining cognitive states world around sets in recent years. So just days before Bruce Willis was scheduled to turn up on the set of one of his latest action films, the director of the project sent out an urgent request. Make the movie stars part smaller. Quote, it looks like we need to knock down Bruce's page count by about five pages. Now, if you don't know, the average movie is about 100 pages long script. So five pages is, is a lot especially if you're taking it from one character. You've got to, most of the things that the lead character says are necessary to the plot. So now you have to find a way to get those things said not coming out of the character's mouth or really, really consolidating the language. One of the best things I had ever taken, courses I'd ever taken, wasn't in college, wasn't in high school. It was when I got to the Heritage Foundation. They offered writing workshops, and I'm so glad I took it, if only for a couple of reasons. They pointed out that the lead paragraph in every single New York or Washington Post story is terrible. It's just terribly written. Read, read the first paragraph in any Washington Post news story, and you just go, good God, who did this and why? And the second thing was, and it was more valuable than that little tidbit of information, was a class called 753. I think that's what it was, 753. And the, the point of it was that anything you can say in seven words, you can say in five words. Anything you can say in five words, you can say in three. Most times, it was about brevity. It was getting to the point or making your point in as few words as humanly possible. Now, it, it's not always the case in normal life, but in writing, especially when they say, well, we want 600 words. And they mean 600. They don't mean 601. They're not interested in 610. They don't care how brilliant those other 10 are. You're going to have to go back and cut. You could provide them with, you know, you wanted 650 words. Here's 750 words. You can keep the change. They're not interested in that. Newspapers are, there's this much room for this many words, period, end of story. Uh, so you, uh, you have to find a way to say the same thing in fewer words. So maybe that's what they had to do with Bruce Willis. But in general, they probably had to change the movie rather dramatically if they come in and say, we got to get rid of five pages of dialogue from Bruce Willis. The story continues. Burns did not outline one of the reasons why Willis's lines needed to be kept short and sweet. But on Wednesday, the public learned that uh, what he and many other filmmakers have privately been concerned about for years. The 67-year-old's family said he will retire from acting because he has aphasia, the cognitive disorder 
affects a person's ability to communicate and often develops in individuals who have suffered strokes. Quote, as a result of this, and with much consideration, Bruce is stepping away from the career that has meant so much to him. The actor's daughter, Rumor Willis, wrote in an Instagram post, also signed by her siblings and the actor's wife, Emma, and his former wife, Demi Moore. According to those who have worked with the elder Willis on his recent films, the actor has been exhibiting signs of decline in recent years. In interviews with The Times this month, nearly two dozen people who were on set with uh, the actor expressed concerns about Willis's well-being. These individuals question whether the actor was fully aware of his surroundings on set, where he was often paid $2 million for two days' work, according to documents viewed by the Times. Filmmakers described heart-wrenching scenes as the beloved Pulp Fiction star grappled with his loss of mental acuity and inability to remember his dialogue. An actor who traveled with Willis would feed the star his lines through an earpiece, known in the industry as an earwig, according to several sources. It's how... Uh, Marlon Brando used to like to work near the end of his career. Most action scenes, particularly those that involved choreographed gunfire, were filmed using a body double as a substitute for Willis. In one alleged incident two years ago on a Cincinnati set for the movie Hard Kill, Willis unexpectedly fired a gun loaded with blanks on uh, the wrong cue, according to two people familiar with the incident who are not authorized to comment. It just sounds sad. Bruce Willis has had a stellar career. Now, with therapy, with rest, with treatment, with whatever, they might be able to bring him back. Hopefully, they'll be able to bring him back. That would be nice. Bring him back some so that he can do what he... I mean, he's set for money. He doesn't have to worry about money, thankfully. But it's... If you looked at Bruce Willis's career, he... He's been in five, six movies a year the last couple of years. And they're just churning out. Now you find out, well, if two days work, $2 million, and then you open up your iTunes and you go, hey, there's a new Bruce Willis movie there. And he did it in two days. He got $2 million bucks, and he's barely in the movie. Maybe he did that because that's what he wanted to do, or maybe he's doing that because you got to make hay while the sun is shining. Who knows? But he became known... Uh, for those of you, like you think John McClane. John McClane is a great character. John McClane, the Die Hard movies are awesome. The world became aware of Bruce Willis through a character named David Addison. Who was David Addison? David Addison was the lead, one of the two lead characters in a show called Moonlighting. That was on from 1985 to 1989. It was at the time, it's been forever since I've seen it. It was on in reruns for a while in the 90s, and then it's just, for some weird reason, has disappeared. Starred Bruce Willis and Sybil Shepard. Bruce Willis and Sybil Shepard played love interests that never, you know, it was like, well, we're working together, we can't get together, but we're really, you know, in love with each other, but we can't admit it, and we infuriate it. It was, it was very common in the 80s. The entire run of cheers is sort of about that. 90% of the run of cheers is about that. Uh, I hate you. I love you sort of thing. And it was that. But in real life, apparently Bruce Willis and Sybil Shepard hated each other, hated each other. There were all sorts of problems on the set constantly. And uh, the, the show was successful, 
but it was also there'd be long periods where they weren't making any because there were walkouts and demands from the stars and hold on and it just became a huge pain in the butt you can still find it uh i'm sure actually most of it is streaming not actually an official streaming service but if you find some video website people have posted it moonlighting is what it's called all one word and uh you can find the dvds but they're expensive because they're out of print for some weird i don't know if uh sybil shepherd or bruce willis told their people you know what i don't want this out there there's a lot of people in hollywood i forget what it was called there was a movie called uh or starring leonardo dicaprio back when he was nobody and it was uh one of those things that you did as he did as a friend it was like almost a student film him and Toby Maguire and a couple other guys who went on to become big, big names, right? And you'd think, well, this is a quite a coup for this guy who, I'm trying to look it up, for this guy who was nobody, was nothing, he made a film with his friends and suddenly he's got one of the biggest movie stars in the world. This is awesome. But for some reason... They've all sued to make sure that that movie never sees the light of day. I once interviewed the director a long time ago. Can't, it's not listed on his IMDb page. But it, uh, it was not ever seen by the light of day. It was not ever supposed to be seen by the light of day. And so they've sued this supposed former friend of theirs to make sure that his movie never comes out, which would make his career, quite frankly. It really would make his career and would probably have set his life on a different trajectory. It's a bad movie. I, I watched it through streaming. You can find it streaming. But um, it they didn't want it known. So you can have things wiped from your career, even if it's known to the world. This, there's, I've read about it in like Time Magazine, and that's how I ended up contacting the director and doing the interview. Um, I think that's what happens with Moonlight. Moonlighting is Willis or Shepard simply didn't want to have that out. They hated each other so much. They hated the other person so much. They hated the experience that they just didn't want it out there out of spite for some weird reason, because you get a piece of the action. I don't understand why if spite is the only reason where you go, I want, I don't want to earn this money. And it probably, I hate to say it, but it's probably Bruce Willis because Sybil Shepard could probably use the money, but Bruce Willis doesn't need the money. So he can go well, to hell with it. But then, you know, spite is a, a powerful emotion. Maybe Sybil Shepard said spite, but whatever it is, I hope that Bruce Willis gets better. I hope that Bruce Willis is able to return or at least make some public appearances. It won't be easy, but uh, I hope he's fixable because, man, that guy gave me a lot of entertainment in my youth. A lot of entertainment in my youth. Now, see, through the miracle of the Internet, you can find it. The movie that Leonardo DiCaprio sued to stop was called Don's Plum. On I, the reason I couldn't find it on his IMDb page is because it's listed as being made in 2001. It was actually filmed in 1995 and 96, but uh, somehow they tried to release it in 2001 because that's when I think Titanic came out. And they're like, ooh, Leo. But uh, said, uh, 
as a res- uh, as a result of a lawsuit brought by stars Leonardo DiCaprio and Tobey Maguire, settled in 1999, this film cannot be shown commercially in the U.S. or Canada. Can you imagine? They apparently allegedly um, ad libbed the movie over the course of a couple of days with just friends. And if you look at the cast from when it was filmed to now, now some of them are are pretty big stars. Got Tobey Maguire was. Spider-Man. Kevin Connolly was in uh, Entourage. Leonardo DiCaprio is obviously Leonardo DiCaprio. Marissa Rabisi, if you saw a picture of her, you'd recognize her. I assume she's either sister or wife of Giovanni Rabisi, too. Amber Benson looks vaguely familiar. Jeremy Sisto is a name that you would know or recognize if you saw it. And all these people were not famous at the time. And they were just probably messing around with a friend. And uh, filmed a movie. Leonardo DiCaprio says that on a deposition, he thought it was a short film, and that was it. And he never would have agreed to it as if he would have thought it was a feature-length movie. And it's like, you know, you don't have to be a jerk. Just let it go. Because now, now it's forbidden fruit. It's the Streisand effect. Barbara Streisand tried to have aerial photographs of her house taken off the internet because she's Barbara Streisand. She doesn't want that, you know, doesn't want it to show up on like Google Maps or whatever. And that just drew more attention to it. And more people saw her house and found out where her house was because she raised a stink about it. Most people wouldn't have known. Wouldn't be so easy to find if you just let it go. A movie called Don's Plum, which I watched. It's 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 clearly not. There wasn't a whole lot of production value on the set but it's a it's fine i wouldn't watch it again but it's fine it, it it would be a blip on the radar i mean you did what's eating gilbert grape for god's sakes you did a whole bunch of really awful movies dude it's probably time to let your friend go you know what let him earn some money but no that's not how hollywood works it's not how hollywood works speaking of it's not how hollywood works apparently uh, what is it? Sybil Shepherd was so mad because Moonlighting was you know eighty five to eighty nine, Die Hard was eighty eight. So Bruce Willis is a nobody. She's the star of Moonlighting, and then suddenly Bruce Willis is this guy who puts out a record called The Return of Bruno. He's such a big star that he could put out a record, and she was a singer. And then he's a movie star, the biggest movie star. She apparently hated it. So if it was and hated him because of that. So maybe that's why it's not available anywhere. Here's an interesting factoid, however, about Die Hard, just because I love this thing. There is a movie. I need to watch this movie because it is. Um, it would be awesome to even think about it. But Die Hard is apparently a sequel, or at least based on a book that's sort of a sequel. And the original first part of the book was a movie made in the 60s by Frank Sinatra. Therefore, since Frank Sinatra was the character of John McClane or the approximation of the character of John McClane, I think they changed the name or whatever. But because of that, the role of John McClane had to first be offered to Frank Sinatra, who was well into his 60s, if not his 70s at the time. So it probably was a good bet that he wasn't going to be interested in it. But he could have he could have put the kibosh on the whole damn thing. And he didn't, which was good for him and good for us and all of that. But it was uh, one of those things. As he, 
Uh, Hart Borcher, who plays Harry Ellis, the son of Frank Sinatra, and The Detective. The Detective was the first one. The Detective was part one, if you want to see that. 1968, based on the novel by author Roderick Thorpe. This film is based on Thorpe's novel, Nothing Lasts Forever, a sequel to The Detective. So the movie is based on that. That meant that the role had to first be offered to Bruce Willis, or to uh, Frank Sinatra. At 73, he turned it down. Could have been a really different movie. <laughs> Instead of the glass everywhere, he just has to whine about his hip. Hmm? I'd have seen it anyway. All right, we've got more uh, things to get to and talk about in the gas issue. We're going to have some audio here for you. Secretary of, Edu- of, uh, of Energy. She has no business being Secretary of anything, but she's Secretary of Energy. She has less business. She should be Secretary of Transportation. If, if you got to check that box and put uh, somebody like Jennifer Granholm in a position... It should be something semi-relevant to what she's done in the past. She's governor of Michigan. Therefore, theoretically at least, she would have some understanding of the transportation issue because of the big three automakers being located in the state of Michigan. Instead, Biden seemed to have just put a bunch of whole bunch of names, intersectional names in a hat and drew them randomly and assigned them to various cabinet posts. And she got energy, which, you know, I grew up in Michigan, love it, but it's not exactly an energy-producing state like you would think of, say, for Texas or something like that. Uh, Cars, sure, we know how to make them and all that good stuff. We know how to design roads, but we can't maintain them. That's another story. Anyway, she went on with Chris Hayes. And Jennifer Granholm and Chris Hayes, boy, howdy, they know how to whine about the price of oil and the price of gas. And they put together a uh, a dynamic duo of stupid, because none of these people, the president, like I said, has announced that he's going to basically put a giant straw, a pipeline, if you will, into the strategic petroleum reserves in the hopes of trying to lower Putin's uh, gas tax hike. Or whatever the hell, Putin's price hike, that's what they call it. Putin's price hike. I know it had alliteration. It doesn't make any sense. It's a lie. Gas prices were up more than a dollar before Putin even started dreaming about Ukraine. But Joe Biden had killed the oil industry in this country. And they're sitting there and they've been lying about that ever since. Joe Biden came out and said, I told you in the State of the Union, I wasn't going to lie to you. I was going to shoot straight with you. We're trying to get rid of Putin's price hike. Like, it's not Putin's price hike. It's your price hike. You want to get rid of it. You want to save Americans on the cost of fuel. Allow us to drill. Allow us to produce our own. That will lower the price, not just in the short term, but in the long term. But they won't do that for some weird, weird reason. It's because they are beholden to the radical left. Anyway, we'll get to all of that. Let's start off with Graham, or Granholm, sorry, and Chris Hayes whining about oil. It just seems so depressingly insane (laughs) that we are here in 2022 and it's like, let's drill, baby, drill. Let's get more oil in those markets. This is the solution. And it's like, it's always the next cigarette is the one we're going to give up. But for now, we need to buy another carton. Why should I not be depressed? It's yeah, yeah. No, I totally get it, Chris. Believe me, I think a lot of us came into this hoping that we would be focusing solely on clean energy solutions, renewable, making that transition. 
Well, God, the left loves transitions, don't they? My God, they love transitions. But I love it. It's always the next cigarette. Yeah, you see, there's a, a thing where if you're a smoker and then you're not a smoker, all right? You don't need to find some other way to get carcinogens into your lungs. If you get rid of oil, you kind of got to have something to replace it. I get it, Chris. You're rich and it doesn't matter. You can pay whatever the cost is. And you just sit there and you've been rich for so long, you've forgotten what it's like not to be rich if you ever did know. I don't know his background. It wouldn't surprise me if he were a pampered rich kid. Most white activist liberals are. They're the only people who have that kind of time. Who else has that kind of time and energy to burn and waste on garbage about and worry so much about what other people are doing with their lives? But if you get rid of cigarettes, you don't need to replace it with something else. If you get rid of oil, you kind of got to replace it with something else. And there isn't anything else that works, not consistently, not regularly, and not enough to replace the oil that we have. They always sit around and whine, oil and gas are... Still, they're like 90% of our energy. We've got to get that down. Well, look, if you could produce unicorn farts that will power a major city, that major city will happily take those unicorn farts. But you don't have it yet. You put solar panels on the roofs of every building in New York City, guess what? You're going to get, I don't know, maybe 20% of your electricity from solar on days when there's no cloud cover, when there's no rain. And only during the day when the sun is shining? The rest of the time, you're going to have problems. You could put windmills up on the roofs of every and the top of every building in New York City. You still wouldn't have enough energy. While it's always seemingly a little windier up there than it is down on the street, it is not always windy. See how that works. Not to mention the fact that you'd be pelting the people below with dead bird upon dead bird upon dead bird. These people live in this fantasy world where it's like well, the choice is plain as day. Quit smoking or keep smoking. No, no, no. The choice isn't plain as day. It's get rid of oil and gas. And then what do you do? Then what do you do? Well, it's easy for Jennifer Granholm. She's in a position where she's rich. She got $5 million in stock options from an electric car company. Why? Because why not? There's no business and doing that, getting that deal. But she's a Democrat in good standing and companies pay off Democrats on the prospect that maybe one day they'll be in a position to help them. And Democrats always help their friends with our money, never with their own. And Chris Hayes lives in New York. So Jennifer Granholm has a driver. She doesn't have to pay for anything. And she's made enough money where she doesn't have to worry about the cost of anything. Chris Hayes lives in New York where you can just hop in a cab. You can take the subway. Uh, or you can afford to drive. Uh, he doesn't drive. He made a stupid little promo about 10 years ago where he rides his bike to work. I doubt he actually rides his bike to work across the Brooklyn Bridge. But if he does, good on him. Most people don't live in a situation where they can do that. Most people don't work for one hour a day at uh, 8 o'clock at night. People have to be to work across town at a specific time. There's no leeway going, yeah, you know what? I just decided to take the scenic route today on my bike, boss. Really, we'll take it home because you're fired. This is the world they live in. And they go, oh, I thought we'd be past oil. I thought we'd be transitioning by now. Well, 
Jennifer Granholm, I get your haircut. But I wouldn't. I just thought it was bad. I didn't think it was part of a transition. But, you know, to each their own. <laughs> Am I allowed to make that joke? I don't actually care. But it's these people. This is who they are. They don't give it. They're not impacted the way it impacts you. So they don't really care. Listen to Jennifer Granholm talk about how much money you can say. All you got to do is drop 50 grand at minimum on an electric car. And then over the, it'll take you a year to get it, by the way. But then after that, you will save money until, of course, the price of electricity goes up significantly. You'll save 50 bucks. Listen to her make that case. So that people can buy electric vehicles and don't have to ever worry about going to fill it up at the gas pump. And I just say, Chris, one of the things that I think is a really great example of this is that if you filled up your 15 gallon tank today, you'd be paying about 62 bucks to go 300 miles. If you plugged in an electric vehicle in your garage with your three prong plug, you'd be paying about 10 bucks. So 10 bucks versus 62 bucks, that's 50 bucks you're saving every time you fill up. That's a huge savings for real people. That's a huge savings for real. It's 52 bucks, Jen. But you also left out the part where you got to drop $50,000 at a minimum to buy that car. And oh, by the way, when more and more people start doing that, if they do, if they ever do, and the power grid gets more and more strain and we need more and more electricity and it's going to cost, you know, the scarcity of electricity. It's going to drive up the cost of electricity. And then you're looking at 50 grand outlay and then more than a lot of, more than your 10 bucks to fill up your car. It's weird. None of these people, it's a whole group of people who are wildly, wildly, wildly economically illiterate. So next we have... The president of the United States lying to the American public. And just like Woodward and Costas, there comes a point when the lie, when, when it's known that you're wrong. You can be wrong. Everybody can be wrong. Robert Costa and Bob Woodward were wrong about their big breaking story. Oh, my goodness. How about all them uh, phone logs, whatever. Okay, great. But once you know that you're wrong and you let the wrongness stand, it becomes a lie. Costa and Woodward are lying because they're letting their wrongness stand after they know that they were wrong. The president of the United States, maybe he doesn't know he's wrong, but the people who tell him what to say know he's wrong. And that's the difference. That's a big deal. We have the president of the United States here lying about how much money people can save per month if they just go buy an electric car or if they just go put solar panels all over their entire property. Under my plan, which is before the Congress now, we can take advantage of the next generation of electric vehicles that a typical driver will save about $80 a month from not having to pay gas at the pump. If your home is powered by safer, cheaper, cleaner electricity like solar or heat pumps, you can save about $500 a month on average. Save 500 Well, first of all, we don't all have three mansions in Delaware, Joe. So who's is your I don't know what your electric bill is. Is it enough that you could save not just, you know, pay nothing, but save $500 a month? Did the president misspeak? Or is he lying? Well, 
He's lying, but he's given the benefit of the doubt. Donald Trump was never given the benefit of the doubt. AP did a fact check. Biden overpromises on green energy savings. Oh, he overpromises. See, you know the truth, and you say something other than the truth. There used to be a word for that. I don't know what it was, but I swear there could have been. AP reports President Joe Biden vastly overpromised Thursday when he told Americans they could expect savings of $500 a month by transitioning to renewable energy. It's possible they might save that much over a year, not per month. You think? Biden addresses the subject while announcing his plans to order the release of 1 million barrels of oil per day from the Strategic Petroleum Reserve for the next six months. Biden is grappling with fallout, blah, 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 he says. It's unclear how much the gasoline prices might dip and Biden's new, uh, from Biden's new order, uh, but the president did promise immediate savings from adapting renewable energy. Quote, if your home is powered by safer, cleaner, cheaper electricity like solar or heat pumps, you can save about $500 a month on average. Not so. The average person in the U.S. spends far less than that every month on electricity. It's one of those no-duh moments where you're just like, yeah, no kidding. The last time you opened up, if you opened up an electricity bill and it was 500 bucks, what would the chance your pants not need to be thrown away. I think it would be a big problem. The average electric bill for homeowners is just $115 per month in 2019, according to the U.S. Energy Information Administration, which begs the question, why the hell do we have a U.S. Energy Information Administration? Between 2009 and 2019, the average monthly electric bill for a U.S. homeowner never surpassed $120. In a statement released to support his order Thursday, the White House predicted his energy plan would save people, quote, $500 a year from using energy, clean electricity like solar heat pumps uh, to power their homes. The problem is it doesn't work. They don't work. Drive around this weekend or drive around today. And just when you notice, look, you'll see big houses. It's always rich people, by the way. It's really big houses that have solar panels all over like one side of their house. It's fine. If that's what you want to do with your money, knock yourself out. But the people who can afford to do this, even if it worked, even if it saved, it wouldn't save 50 bucks a month. If it was 500 bucks a year, it'd be more like 40, almost 42 bucks a month. But that's just basic math. That is provided by the way they do these estimates provided that all day when the sun is up it's a sunshiny day they'll count for the fact that the sun goes down for half the day but they won't account for the fact that it's overcast some days it's rainy other days it doesn't always uh collect a bunch they just don't do that because it doesn't help make their case so if you're saving 40 bucks a month on your electricity bill and it costs $10,000 to put tiles all over your roof. Not to mention the damage you could potentially do to your roof because anything you put on your roof is just an invitation to leak. I can say that as a former roofer. You don't want to put stuff on your roof unless you absolutely have to because that's just another way for water to potentially get in. But that's beside the point. If it costs you ten grand to save 40 bucks a month, how many months do you have to own the house to break even? You can figure that one out. Break out your calculator function. It's a while. And if it costs that ten grand to outlay that money from the get-go, 
How many middle-class or working-class Americans are going to be able to do that? Probably not too many. But the Biden administration is advocating for major tax credits to those people to buy those solar panels, just like they are with cars. You want to buy a Chevy Volt? We'll pay 7500 bucks of that for you as a taxpayer. If you're buying a Chevy Volt, you're probably, I mean, you might be, but I suspect somewhere in your family there's money, but you're probably not a waiter or waitress. You're probably, uh, if, you, if you are, your parents helped you with it, more than likely. It is a wealth transfer. It is a massive wealth transfer from the poor and middle class to the wealthy. Period. End of story. It is everything. Everything Democrats whine about saying Republicans do all the time. All these tax cuts, they're just for the rich. How many people you know who uh, work with you in retail, at a record store, or on the job site where you're doing whatever, concrete, whatever? How many of them roll up in an electric vehicle? I'm betting just south of none would be my guess. But you go to your local or state Democrat meeting, you go to your Democrat convention in the state, you're going to see a lot of them. You're going to see an awful lot of them. And you'll probably see the executives of those companies in there as well. And you'll also likely see the shareholders like uh, Jennifer Granholm, Secretary of energy who got five million dollars in stock options from an electric car company because why well who knows it's just one of those things luck of the draw you know somebody's name was just pulled out of a hat just like nancy pelosi and her husband got two and a half million dollars in stock options from tesla because why because why not they also got several million dollars from visa because why not they're just lucky their name gets drawn a lot total coincidence not corrupt at all not corrupt at all except for the part where it's completely and totally corrupt all right that's enough for today i think derek shut your damn mouth anyway (laughs) hey man it's a whole new week i didn't think i was talking to the wife yesterday laying in bed in the morning going we need a holiday we need a three-day weekend it's been two days and easter doesn't count because you don't really get a three-day weekend for Easter because it's a religious holiday. I mean, you can take, I mean, you can technically take a vacation day anytime you want, but I want a government-sanctioned one. And it's not until Memorial Day. I think it's Memorial Day, whichever one comes first. And now I've got to remind myself to take that off before everybody else at work takes it off. And then they go, well, we got nobody to cover. So, yeah, i got to do that. So, anyway, that is, uh, oh, yeah, no, we're not done. We're not done. I've got the announcement to make about the contest. That's why all you people stuck around this long. Who am I fooling? Nobody wants to hear me ramble. All right. But first, let me ramble. Since I've got you as a captive audience, we have a sponsor, of course. It's Life Change Tea at GetTheTea.com. You go there. It's the tea that changes your life. It keeps you regular. Use as direct to get like a month's supply. You steep it, and then you just drink a little bit every day. And you will become regular. More importantly, you'll become cleaned out inside. And then you'll get more energy because you're eating good stuff. Then you'll be able to digest, absorb the best stuff from the good stuff that you eat. Go to getthetea.com. They explain it all there. Use as directed. Don't chug it. It's tasty, but don't chug it. And uh, 
you'll learn all about it. And don't forget to enter promo code Derek, D-E-R-E-K, at checkout. Click apply, and you get free, fast shipping on top of everything else. Get the T.com, promo code Derek. Okay. The winner, uh, should I do the winner first or the, yeah, I'll do the winner first, just so those of you, actually, by the time you hear this, though, you technically would have, well, maybe this tells you to go check your messages. I don't know. A guy named Tim, and I'm going to butcher your name, Tim, and I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm assuming that you're a guy. Given this week's shows, you can never tell. But I'm going to go out on a limb here and say that Tim is a dude and probably a good dude. Uh, Tim Chiaritini? No, that's not even... You know how to pronounce your name, Tim. The world doesn't need to know. God knows I, they're never going to figure it out from what a way I pronounced it. Anyway, congratulations, Tim. You have won a signed copy, the signed copy, of The Unholy Trinity by Matt Walsh. So check your Patreon messages. I appreciate the support. appreciate everybody entering this week. Uh, the uh, next book, Joining the Fray. That means that Adam Carolla is returning. You can thank Bailey, Tim. She's the one who drew your name, by the way. Um, remember her in your Christmas list. Um, you have Adam Carolla returning. Within 50 years, we'll all be chicks, which was only off by about 49 years. And Dana Perino's And the Good News Is. Autographed copy, Dana Perino book. I think that's her first book. And Adam Carolla, the face-off, the battle for the ages. Somebody who's like five foot seven versus somebody who's like six foot three. So I think he's Adam Carolla, six foot four. He's not as tall as me. The times I've met him, I didn't tower over him. But as somebody who's six foot five, you you become acutely aware of somebody taller than you. I, I don't know if other people are acutely aware of it when I'm leering over them, but I'm aware of it because it doesn't happen very often. Anyway, thanks for the support. Go to patreon.com slash Derek Hunter podcast. The post is up now. That's where you enter to win the autographed books. And just all you do is comment on the books, on the post with the pictures of the books and the pictures of the autographs to prove their authenticity. You just comment with which one you want. And that's it. You too could be a winner. Appreciate the use of your ears. Happy Monday, and sorry it's Monday. Tomorrow will be Tuesday, though. That moves us closer to the weekend already. It's so sad that I'm thinking of the weekend before and already. Anyway, have a great one. We'll see you tomorrow. Do I invalidate my spouse's stance as a trans femme person? 